Hi, I'm Zoe Panina Baker, and this is Miss Mitzvah. I danced for the boy for the first time, and it was super awkward, and I just waited for it to end. He called me a butterface during Tzvilat. All these kids are dead sober, tons of metal in their mouth, and they're grinding in front of their parents. And it's like, you're a woman now, you gotta think about being fat every day. Hello, and welcome to Miss Mitzvah, episode one. To many of our friends in the U.S., happy Thanksgiving. If you're listening on Thursday or this weekend, hunkering down and overeating in your childhood home, what better way to ease out of that queasy feeling into a somewhat related one? As you spend the weekend running into estranged friends at hometown bars, dodging questions about your relationship status and how much you've grown... Spend the next 20 minutes or so reflecting on adolescence, really leaning into those cringeworthy memories that only seem to surface around the holidays. Over the course of the season, we're going to be discussing a wide range of experiences, diving deep into the bat mitzvah experience from different perspectives, with people from all ends of the spiritual, religious, socioeconomic, and gender spectrum. We'll be giving little history and vocab lessons along the way, and inviting all of you to lend your ears and insights to the conversation. Today, we are starting simply, entering the conversation about bat mitzvahs with Adira. Adira is a friend of mine and fellow artist from Seacliff, Long Island. I spent the day with Adira in September, driving out from her apartment in Brooklyn to her parents' house, where we talked about body image, putting herself out there, and her bat mitzvah party experience. Adira's parents live in a perfect pink cottage with a wraparound porch in one of the cutest towns I have ever seen. I kid you not, the day we went out there, I was getting some serious Stars Hollow circa 2005 vibes that really got me in the mood for our conversation. With her mother's baby blue BMW parked outside, we entered the house and started chatting immediately. In her faded pink childhood bedroom, we rifled through armoires and dusty jewelry boxes, admired emo pottery projects, including a vase literally shedding ceramic tears, tool-covered hair clips, and collages full of faded pictures from fashion magazines. Growing up, being a Samantha... Met the Victorian-era orphan American Girl doll, and not the Sex and the City character. But somehow, some of these things kind of carry over. In Adira's childhood bedroom, her white tulle bat mitzvah dress hung front and center on a curtain rod against the back wall, swinging over a daybed where her Samantha doll sat patiently. We slumped down on the floor of her parents' walk-in closet, chilled in their unbelievably cute ivy-covered yard, and cozied up in a pillow-filled nook in their sun-soaked living room to chat about the past. Have a listen. So, my name is Adira Schiff. I'm from Seacliff, New York, which is on Long Island, Nassau County, North Shore, to be specific. Um, I had my bat mitzvah in 2006. Visually, just in general, the place, like, I had pink was my theme. There was, like, one, like, large floral centerpiece when you entered that was, like, cherry blossoms and pink peonies. And it's, like, not captured on 
photo, but it was very, very pretty. Um, also, the flowers at my temple were so pretty. It was like, I remember being very thrilled with how that went for me, like, because I was really into Blair Waldorf at the time, and like, so pink peonies became my favorite flowers. And I remember like being like, I need a million pink peonies, Dad. I need them. And he was like, we'll see. And then what they did was like even better because it was like a million pink peonies and like all this like green, pretty flowers. Um, there was like the balloons inside the balloons. I think my colors were like pink, white, silver, black, hot pink. I did my own makeup. I remember going to CVS to buy all my makeup, and I bought the purple um, Dream Mousse eyeshadow, the lavender one, and, like, a bright, bright pink, like, Almay blush, and, like, um, I think I wore, like, Victoria's Secret lip gloss, because I was, like, all about that. I don't know if I was shoplifting from Sephora yet. I feel like I was maybe like on the cusp of that like I was just starting to like think about it I think I was at the point where I was just going to Sephora and trying shit on and then like buying like Victoria's Secret lip glosses with like money that I'd beg my parents for because I always loved things like I always I wanted to be, like, a fashion designer when I was a little girl. Like, I loved, like, stuff. I loved things. I loved, like, glamour and opulence in my mind. I remember, like, wanting fake eyelashes. And my mom was like, okay, we'll get them. But, like, I couldn't do it myself, and she couldn't do it either. And I just remember being, like, frustrated as shit and, like, not wearing my fake eyelashes and being sad about it. But now that I look back and, like, see just the the fullness of my face, just full of promise and chocolate fountain and <laughs> deli meat, um, like, I just know that it would have looked absolutely insane. So maybe it was a blessing that I didn't have giant fake eyelashes that day. I remember being, like, really upset that I had to wear a tallit. Like, being, like, really... And I made my own. I had I had painted it myself. Um, but I remember just being like, this is ruining my look. Like, as if I was looking amazing, and that was the only thing detracting me from being, like, red carpet ready. And, like, they wanted me to wear a kippah. I went to, like, a reform temple. My rabbi and her partner, Grace, were, like, running the show, and they were, like, all about the women in kippahs. And I said no. I was like, no, I'm not. Um, my dress was very, like, uh, Little Bo Peep fantasy. It was, like, um, so it's white satin underneath and then white tulle, tube top bodice, and then puffy skirt, and it had little pink satin rosettes, like, scattered on the bodice and a little bit on the skirt, and a green satin ribbon, and it was unique because it was like um ankle length and I had baby pink like I want to say two and a half inch skinny heel beaded strappy ankle strap shoes um and then I wore this hardtail like the yoga pants brand 
white like sweatshirt material blazer that had like large silver buttons on it and like a ruffle on the back it was like a really absurd garment to wear um and I had like little titties still I definitely it was like right before I got big titties so I had like the high neck that, and that I think that was good because those dresses with that weird like the way that those tube tops went like I don't think you could have much more going on when I bought my dress it was like months before and my dad said something to me about like make sure you still fit into it and I remember being like very appalled by that and being like oh my god the eating that I do is what's making me fat but, like, not really knowing how to stop yet. It was, like, right when I realized that, like, I didn't really like my body. But, like, before I came to the conclusion that I could, like, actually do something about it. Other than, like, just drink chocolate out of a cup and pray. You know? <laughs> like, And I guess that's, like, a coming-of-age thing. And it's, like, you're a woman. Now you gotta think about being fat every day. Was kind of what it was, I guess. Um, and I think that my parents were really, and I don't think that they meant to be like this, but I think that they were like, oh, like our kid is going to be like on view for everyone we know. And I think they were a little embarrassed about how fat I was. Um, and everyone was like a little bit, like, it was definitely like a thing of like the first time that everyone was like, you like kind of have to like look, like you got to pull it together and look good. Like, I got my braces off, like, just before it. Like, they made sure that I got my braces off for it. Um, and all this shit. Like, I'm sure I'm probably a little more disordered in my thinking about stuff like that than some people. But I have a feeling that if you were to, like, interview, like, which you probably are interviewing, like, all of these young girls who were put on display at their most awkward age possible, that a lot of people would have similar concerns. That's one of the first times that you, like, put in a lot of effort to get ready to be seen by the world. And kind of after that point, that's, like, when you start, like, having routines, you know, and, like, doing all that shit. And, like, even, like, getting periods, like, having to, like, carry... I didn't have my period yet when I had a bar mitzvah, also, I don't think. I think I got it, like, in eighth grade, like, really late. And was later than everyone I knew and was really upset about it. Um, like, but having to, like, carry around shit to, like, be prepared and, like, do your makeup to be prepared and straighten your hair to be prepared to, like, exist and move through the world started out as something that was, like, aspirational and then now became something that I, like, just feel more comfortable doing. Like, it's not... There's no aspiration, really. Like, I'm not, like, trying to be more beautiful anymore. I just think that this is what I look like. And I'm like, I have to look like me. Only in the last year or so have I started wearing my hair curly most, if not all the time. Of course now, like, literally all my work is Jewy and girly, so I'm like, yes, this is what a nice Jewish girl should look like. This hair should be part of my brand. 
I wear my hair curly. I'm curvy. I wear my glasses all the time, which I didn't used to do, even though I totally need them. And I feel like I look like me. Adira's interview really got me thinking. Not just about how we choose to present and how that really makes us who we are, but when some of those pivotal moments were growing up that trained us to think that looking a certain way would make us the way we ought to be. For many, the B'nai Mitzvah experience is the first time we're being trained to be put on display, so to speak. So what does this do to our tiny tween psyches? Parents telling us we should cut the crap, eat less junk food, start smoothing out flaws. They wanted to, but were they really helping? So we checked back in with Adira because we wanted to hear from her. How being put on display and learning femininity in this way manifested itself in her life now. Hey, how's it going? Good. Can you hear me? I have headphones in. Yeah, totally. Perfectly. Okay, cool. Awesome. So, yeah. So, uh, Adira, we, I mean, we spoke in September um, and we went out to your parents' house on Long Island and we had this whole day where, like, we really did this crazy deep dive um, into, into, to your bar mitzvah experience. Um, so I really just wanted to talk to you now, sort of reflecting on that. You know, we shared the interview with you um, and sort of see where you're at. Because um, when I was like, when I kept, cause I've listened to your interview so many times, you know, <laughs> like there are so many things that stand out to me, especially when it comes to the way you are like so, so confident in your understanding of how women present themselves and how you choose to present yourself. Um, and knowing you, it's it's a lot easier to understand than you really articulated initially. Um, right. Because, like, this idea of this, like, you say something about, like, opulence and glamour and, like, knowing how, how you are, um, it's very easy to understand how you got to be, I mean, I guess, like, the person I perceive you to be today, um, which could be wrong, too, you know? Um, <laughs> But, like, I'm really just wondering, like, after hearing sort of, like, where you were coming from and what we got out of it, um, like, like, how do you think this, these ideas, like, these, these things that you were sort of trained to do um, growing up and you were sort of introduced to through the bat mitzvah, these rituals of getting ready as a woman, um, yeah, like, absolutely. how do they manifest in your, in your day-to-day today? I think that being back at my parents' house, um, definitely, and I go there all the time. It's not like I was opening up all these ghosts that I never see, but I think that being in that place and looking through all of that memorabilia um, kind of made, it brought me into a more infantile zone. And I think like when I listen to myself speak, I'm kind of like, wow, I sound like a little girl. Um, and I, that happens to me a lot. I, it's not that rare of an occurrence, but I think that 
sometimes when you feel like, um, I guess like that comfort almost, or, but I don't know if comfort is necessarily the word. I guess just like when you're somewhere where you actually were feeling certain ways, it's very easy to access those feelings and modes of behaviors again without much effort. Whereas where, when you're separated from everything, um, it's easier to kind of form a new identity. Um, and I guess kind of being very small town, <laughs> I've noticed that with a lot of people that I grew up with. Um, whereas it's kind of like a lot of people stay the same if you stay in one place, but the more you move, the more you change. I haven't moved that much, but I, I've moved. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just really trying hard not to say like, to be so honest with you. <laughs> Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? So like, it's definitely, can I maybe get it off my chest? Cause I'm having such a hard time. No, no, no. I think, I think it's really important. Um, if that's something that stood out for you in the interview, like let's, let's unpack it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that going back to that interview, it was very interesting to me because it almost sounded like the way that I would be speaking at the time that we were saying, like, exactly and part of it feels like I'm doing it right now um very like people places and things how you go right back into those habits um but at the same time I think I still am completely in those habits I just don't um I'm just a little more aware of it to the point where I like don't want to fully aspire to the things that I've always aspired to, but now they're just second nature. Um, and so I noticed it mostly with my speech patterns and, um, kind of having this valley girl cadence and just really, um, almost, I just, I can't stop saying like, it's really, uh, it's very striking to me when I listen to it. And, I think that I do do that in real life. I think that's how I talk. And I, I do know that people, um, it doesn't come off great. It's not, I mean, it doesn't come off as intelligent as I think I possibly could speak if I were to break some of these habits. And I think, I guess that does kind of tie into all these rituals where as much as it is, a powerful thing. Um, and femininity is very powerful in that way. Um, it's a double-edged sword and you do get very judged for a lot of these things. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The rituals and the getting ready comes and goes in different cycles. Um, whereas like when I was younger and what we're discussing in a lot of the interview is it was more of an aspirational or like special occasion thing for me. Um, and then I've gone through phases where I'm actually full glam every day, fake eyelashes, fake nails, all of that. Um, whereas right now I currently like have nothing fake on my face or hands. Um, I still do my hair, um, as much as possible. I think that a lot of that stuff, it kind of, it became second nature to the point where at this point it feels glamorous not to do any of it. As much as I still do some of it and the hair will always be like 
the last bastion and the thing that I'm the most uptight about. I think that right now I'm going through a phase where I'm once again, as I discussed, as I was at the time, my mom is still like doing all of my own makeup um, with varied success and putting on my own drugstore eyelashes instead of getting them done and usually not wearing any at all. Um, I guess, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think that these things seemed more opulent when they were not as much a part of my life. Um, and then when they were very relevant to me, it was more of just routine and just presenting to the world how I felt I needed to look and how I felt that I was on the inside, I guess. Um, I, I'm not sure... I'm not sure. I think that part of it is as a person, I've always wanted to play with the way that I represent myself to other people. And I think that um, there's power in doing that and that by um, taking control and by kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the word, by changing little things and not really just going with the raw material it puts power back into your hands um, and it, it's almost a little manipulative in a way that's really been very interesting to me over time. Um, even outfits and dressing yourself and like the different reactions that you'll get to different things that you might wear. I mean, I kind of go everywhere. I still love my little Bo Peep puff sleeves, but I, when you was wearing basketball shorts and like a dirty white t-shirt, which people can't hear on the interview, but I was. Um, a lot of these things are so ingrained in us, whether it's speech patterns or um, rituals, getting ready, doing your hair, doing your nails, shopping, whatever it is. These things become, at during adolescence, when we were talking about these things are aspirational, you're learning how to do these things. And then they turn into second nature to the point where you can't even really stop them. So right now I'm kind of in a weird place where I think I'm a little bit at odds with all of that, actually. Um, and I don't necessarily want to stop doing glamorous things. And I think it's a really nice treat. And I, I love all of that stuff still. But I... I, I think it would be cool to kind of unlearn some of these things and make it be a little more optional. So I guess that's where I'm at right now is kind of trying to make it so that a lot of these, just kind of trying to unlearn a lot of stuff that I've learned and that I've picked up over these years that have maybe contributed to some, they contributed to a lot of good stuff. I mean, I've, out my own personal aesthetic so well to the point where I've been wearing plaid skirts and, like the next skirts for 10 years now and like I've figured out what works and now I think I'm trying to just like calm down about all of it yeah cool well thanks so much no problem bye bye everything from choosing how to dress noticing our weight, makeup, personal style. These are things 
we're introduced to around this age, and the bat mitzvah for many is really a first foray into performing femininity. So how were we taught to present? Did any of the things you learned about how to hold yourself as a grown-up during adolescence carry over into your adult life today? What, if any, rituals did you learn during this time of life that may have influenced the way you present, what you value, or how you spend your time now? We want to hear from you. Leave us a short message with a mini-story on our Google Voice account at 612-470-7330 or in the comments on our Facebook page at Miss Mitzvah. And maybe we'll share it on the show. That's 612-470-7330 and Miss Mitzvah on Facebook. Also, if you like what you hear, like us on Facebook and leave us a review. We can't do this without all of you. Can't wait to hear from you. I think that another thing also that is important is being like two in character sometimes, which is something that like, I mean, I do it at work and I pretend to be an Italian girl named Frankie and like, you do lose yourself in a little way by doing that. 